welcome to Conversations About Life. Now it looks like we're rolling again. Looks like we're going. Well, good morning, Dave. I'm with Dave Sabota, and Dave was uh, a guest at my Airbnb. And he stood out from among other guests that I've had, and uh, he gave me some really helpful, detailed um, instructions, uh, well, tips on how to make better use of my space, um, how to move a couple things around. And and anyway, I really appreciated that. I wanted to reach out to Dave and meet him, see what he's all about. So that's what we're doing. And... Uh, Dave is an engineer. I just found that out a few minutes ago. And uh, I see you said you live on a couple of acres of property. Um, No, you said 20 acres, right? Yes. 20 acres. And you enjoy uh, keeping that up and taking care of it. And um, so this is, um, you know, before going on, is there anything else you would add, Dave, as far as just way of, um, introduction, just to kind of say who you are how, or how would you introduce yourself? Is there anything else you would add to that? Uh, well, I guess uh, I might add that I like living out in the sticks. Uh, happily married for more than 29 years. Two kids. Wow. Uh, both kids are, are grown and out of the house now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, so in my podcast, a lot of times I ask people about their fundamental beliefs, life experiences, and things like that. So what shaped your life to become the person you are um, today? Anything, uh, any particular experiences or books or people, or what has shaped you to become um, the person you are? Well, that's a lot, kind of a, a long story, but I guess that's kind of the point of the conversation. Um, I was, I guess I, you could say I was kind of born with a conservative mindset. Um, I didn't know it when I was younger. I was young and ignorant, as many people are. And I was raised by hippies. Hmm. And one thing I had didn't know when I was younger was that the life that we lived, because we moved around a lot and and we lived poor. So I grew up poor and I didn't realize that a lot of the reason we lived the way we did was because of the decisions that my parents made until I got Mm -hmm. older. And I guess pretty much once I left the house and I had also talked to some of uh, aunts and uncles about my parents' past, I learned more about making decisions as an adult myself and realized that the decisions that they made were the way we lived were there was most of their choice, bad choices, but their choice, not necessarily just a victim of circumstance. I guess I never really felt like I was a victim of circumstance. I always knew that the way we lived was not the best way to go forward. So I was always seeking that, that better way. And as I learned more about our past, I realized that those decisions were up to me. So I always worked toward that 
that goal of being better off than, than I was as a kid. And I wanted my kids to live in that better off environment and better off. I didn't mean, you know, more stuff or, or lots of money, but just a stable life. Two parents that always cared for them, that were there for them, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So I never really chased a lot of money, but um, I mean, that's not to say that I'm not doing okay because I have a retirement account. I have a paid for house on that 20 acres at, at 53. And, mm-hmm. uh, but I've never gone for, you know, uber rich. I still drive old cars, uh, relatively old. I mean, the newest thing I have is a 2005. So, um, but I, I live frugally, live well, and uh, do a lot of stuff for myself. So I guess so you know, a lot of. Sorry, I was just. I guess a lot of the things that shaped me were the way I was raised, and then coming to realize mm-hmm. that a lot of those a lot of the reasons that we lived the way we did were based on bad decisions. And I knew that I didn't have to make those same bad decisions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you th- the person thinks of the hippie lifestyle, um, they might um, have like a romantic view of it. Um, what, you know, what, so what is that lifestyle like, or, you know, when you were growing up? Well, uh, loose morals, uh, for, for the most part. I mean, there was certain boundaries that my parents had, you know, that, that they would, it, it wasn't that they never, uh, I guess you could say that they never lied. Mostly they lied to themselves, but, uh, you know, they tossed, you don't steal, you don't lie, you don't cheat. But other than that, it was kind of a butt partying on is okay and uh you know having sex is okay as long as you take precautions and uh i don't mind if you drink as long as you drink at home so i know where you're at that type of thing mm-hmm. and while that sounds really cool it also leads down the path of i don't know if you call it sloth laziness uh uh not a not a structured path that you can turn into a future and as such, you know, with, with my parents um, not having a stable, say, career path or being stable in their decision-making, it led to us moving around a lot, which when you're a kid, you go to a different school every year until you're in the sixth grade, it winds up you getting picked on. And that's, you know, not necessarily a fun, because you don't have, as a kid, you're looking for, you want to have a group of friends, you want to have a, a stable place to be, and you never had that. And I didn't get that stability until I was probably in the sixth or seventh grade. Uh, and the reason we even had the stability was because of my mother's father who bought a house for him just so that, that we'd have a place to live. Hmm. Uh, so that was the only time that we actually stayed in one place for a long time and were just able to have the same group of friends through high school. Mm-hmm. So, and like I said, we lived poor. It was a small house. We had, there was four kids and the house had originally two bedrooms and my dad built stairs up to the attic and put a floor in the attic and some insulation up there. And, uh, my sister was in the downstairs bedroom. They had one bedroom and then, uh, all three of us lived up in the attic. So 
it, it's not like what you would call a normal middle class upbringing, like people think of these days. Yeah. So, who had the positive influence on you? I think you mentioned a relative. Uh, was it grandparent yeah. or? Okay. Mostly my grandfather on my mom's side. <clears throat> my grandfather on my okay. dad's side, I never really knew him because he was an alcoholic and my dad didn't get along with him. But my grandfather on my mom's side, we spent a lot of time with my grandparents. And I kind of, I saw him as the way I'd like to be because he was, he did raise his kids more middle class. He was an electrical engineer for GM. Um, <laughs> my grandmother worked for a little bit at uh, at the telephone company, but for the most part, she stayed home. She was a stay-at-home mom, and they had a, a, a pretty good life. They had a consistent, they lived in the same house from the time they started having kids until he died. And I saw him as an example of more of what I'd want to follow. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the way that we were we were brought up. So you mentioned loose morals. So your appreciation of morals does it come from any kind of religious uh, foundation, or is it more of just uh, the stability of a life that you know morals can give a person? I think it started out more as the as the latter, as understanding, you know, the right from wrong and, and what that can do for you. And I'm, I'm, uh, I guess on a path, I'm, I'm becoming more religious as I've gotten older and learning more and, uh, working on that path. So it's, it's more of, a in my later years, turning to the Bible and, and, and proper teaching and morals that I've just strengthened my, my point of view on that. Mm-hmm. And and what what's turning you in that direction, um, or what appeals to you about it, or why is it important to you? I guess without it, I felt like like something was missing. Like even though I was headed the right direction, or at least what I thought was the right direction, it wasn't complete. So I feel mm-hmm. like it's leading me in a direction that's more complete. Hmm. And well, well, how's that going? Like, um, what are you doing, you know, to go in that direction? And, um, what have you found out or, um, you know, what, how's that like for you right at, at this point? It's sort of, a, I guess, I don't know if you say it's a mixed bag, uh, I'm hyper logical, so okay. I still struggle with a leap of faith. Although I do believe absolutely that that we were created, because I guess in my logical mind, the statistical possibility that all of this is random to me is, is nonsense. Uh, even if you look mm-hmm. at that from a logical point of view, there's no way. And it's kind of funny because even when I was younger and more ignorant, I still had questions about what I was being taught because one specific example, I guess that the bug or the, the, the little light was always there. I can remember being in sixth grade and them teaching us that the entire universe came from the big bang and that we evolved from amoebas and all this other stuff that they like to, to 
teach the kids. And my thought, even as a sixth grader, was, but where'd the Big Bang come from? So that seed was always there. It's like there's something more than what they're telling us. Yeah. And it's a long walk, I guess, to get to completely letting go of what you know is logical and taking that, that final leap of faith. But uh, that's that's the path that I'm working on, struggling toward. Because um, yeah. like I said, it, f- it feels more complete, but it's uh, to get over my hyper-logical thought process is still a struggle. Yeah. Is there anything particular, like when you're reading the Bible, is there anything in particular that's just tough to handle? Like, you know, like what do I do with this type of thing? <laughs> it's, it's more concepts that are tough to handle. And, and some of it are because I know I need to grow and others are trying to get over that logical. One is, is believing in the miracles. Mm-hmm. Um, my logical mind says there's no evidence that, that something like that personal type of interference happens on our level. Mm-hmm. Not that there's, that we weren't created. I obviously believe we, we were, but I don't believe that there's, you know, I have to struggle with there's intimate interference on the planet with us as humans. Mm-hmm. That's something I struggle yeah. with. But other things that yeah. I just find difficult, I know I need to grow with are things like uh, love your enemy and um, the, the the things where you, but I want to fight back. And the answer is, but you're not supposed to fight back on these particular things, you know, and, and knowing where that line is, is a, it's a different part of the struggle. As I get more educated and learn more, there's certain things that it's tough to break my own personality from wanting to hold on to yeah kind of the sermon on the mount type of issues maybe yes yeah you could say that yeah the for me the way in or the way it became like a real and meaningful you know personal meaningful thing for me as far is um when i came to the end of myself on a moral basis like just um, realizing that I had become disgusting morally. <clears throat> so I was still a young person. I was around 18. Um, but I had uh, <clears throat> spent my teens like being hateful to my uh, siblings, being rebellious toward my parents, getting into all the things that, you know, typically the, the things – teenagers can get into and um and then just feeling reaching a low point and feeling just disgusted with myself and um and then asking god to save me from who i was you know from what i had become and to somehow save me from that and that you know the best i can it's long been a long time the best i can remember um it seemed like it was a uh, just a lifting of guilt from me, and um, like it was a real experience with the, the spiritual realm, you know, like where it was communicated to me somehow that I was forgiven, and my desires changed, and that's when the Bible started making sense to me, and and it was kind of like a whole new world just kind of opened up to me, but. Um, 
anyway, it was that kind of reaching the end morally that, um, you know, made the way for something else. Um, earlier in my life, I was afraid of hell. I'd heard about that when going to church. So I tr- tried to do things like religious things, getting baptized and so forth, to try to make sure I was saved so I wouldn't go there. <laughs> but I don't think I had the concept that I needed to be saved, like there was, that there was something wrong that I had to be saved from. And then later, um, that's all I was thinking about, like, save me for myself, you know. So I don't know. Have you ever, um, like, had a, a moral dilemma, like, uh, and where you addressed God with um, this need to somehow for your, for guilt to be, dealt with in some way or have has that been a part of your um religious experience honestly i think that's part of the reason why i struggle is because i never really had in my past i mean not to say that i was always uh as as cleanly moral as i am now and i'm still not perfect obviously i i still struggle mm-hmm. uh but I think that's the, the, is I was always, when I was younger, I was always kind of the good kid. So, do I still have you? I think we lost your feed. I temporarily lost your feed for a second there. Okay. I can hear you now. Okay, so... Uh, I think that's why I struggle because I was okay. never really that bad kid, I guess. Uh, I was always kind of the, mm-hmm. the, the nicer guy, the, the good kid. So for me, it's been more of a blending sort of sliding. And I, it's one thing I kind of envy about other people who have had an experience where they had the, just this changeover. For me, it's kind of been a step here, a step there. So I I, mm-hmm. I kind of envy that. I, I wish I had that one experience that just said, ding, this is it. This is why you should flip the switch. For me, it's more been a step. This is a step in the right direction. This is another step in the right mm-hmm. direction. Because I, I never really fell off the cliff. Uh, even though my parents mm-hmm. smoked dope and drank. Uh, and, uh, and as a teenager, I did some drinking. I never really liked it. I never got into it. Uh, I even had a couple of bad experiences where I drank too much and, uh, and I'm a really young teenager drank too much and said, you know, I'll never do that again. So even in my college years, uh, I would go and party and have some fun, but I, you know, I was never one of those people that would just get sloppy drunk cause I it had never had an appeal to me. And hmm. when I met the woman who is now my wife, uh, by the time I left college and we had gotten married, we don't drink at all. And it's, and I don't miss it because it was never anything that I really enjoyed. So that behavior was never something that was deep, deep seated in me. Uh, I was never really hateful toward people. Um, so I didn't really, I didn't really have a transition time. It was just more of a, what am I doing? This thing is not the right thing to do drop it 
and then move on to mm-hmm. the next thing that I need to improve on. So it was more of slow steps. I said, I think that's probably why I struggle more with that final leap of faith is because I've never really had a defining moment in my past that said, what are you doing to yourself? Uh, you need to turn around. Mm-hmm. It's kind of more of, I uh, just keep needing nudges in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So how's things, how has things gone with your siblings and your parents? What are their lives like now? Uh, well, it's kind of a, it's, it's a sort of a weird mixed bag. I think, um, I'm the oldest of four. So my next brother, Chris, uh, he's also a, he's a believer, but he's also strangely very politically liberal. And I'm not sure exactly why he's a hardworking guy. He's, he's a small business man. He, he does, you know, custom woodwork and home improvement stuff. And he's been doing that all his life. But I'm not sure why that leaves him in the in the political liberal zone. Because if anything, he should be the opposite of that. But I think he that part of the teaching that we were brought up in, he never let go of. Because my parents are still liberal. Uh, my parents are both basically living off of Social Security. They never really had. They never set up any retirement whatsoever. So they're living in a small, crappy rental. And I'm pausing because I see we lost your signal again. That's interesting. Your signal keeps dropping. But I saw it. I paused. Okay. Uh, I guess, uh, yeah, I'm not sure why he is the way he is uh, because as a small businessman, he should be more independent. But uh, then there's my brother, uh, Jason, who's the next one down the line. He, uh, he started out a lot like my father. He was more, he dropped out of high school, mm-hmm. but lately he's come to become a, a believer. He's, he's still got some work to do, but he's, he's coming around. He's being responsible. He wound up getting a girl pregnant and they're now living together and he's raising the child, mm-hmm. but they're in a, even though she has some emotional baggage, which is why I think they don't get married. Uh, she let him adopt her daughter hmm. and they're living in a decent house and he's working steady and she's working steady. So it's kind of, uh, he's coming around. He's still got a little work to do, but he's still, but he's coming around. Yeah. And then the youngest is my, uh, sister, April, who is, uh, they, on the outside, they look like the, uh, the, I guess by society standards, they're the absolute uh, suburban middle class, upper middle class family. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a she's a doctor of veterinary medicine, and he is got a degree in biochemistry and does IT stuff. Wow. Um, you know, and they live in the three thousand square foot house in the suburbs. Uh, three kids, but it's also interesting that <clears throat> she's she's also politically very liberal. And she's also, she was never a person who had a lot of street smarts, um, but she's very well educated. She was always book smart. I, I remember mm-hmm. when she was in high school, she was always book smart. And of course, now that she's uh, 
got her degree in veterinary medicine, and she's been a vet for some years now. She's still very book smart, but when it comes to the world, there's still a lot of things that she she not only doesn't understand, but she doesn't really seem to care to understand. It's more like, you know, I've got my education. I'm raising my kids. I know what I'm doing. Leave me alone. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's not that I don't talk to them ever, but I don't talk to to them much. And it's not, I don't have any animosity toward them. It's just that we just don't have much to talk about anymore. So, mm-hmm. and they're, we're all scattered too. Uh, I was born in Buffalo. We moved around. We spent some time in Tennessee. We went back to New York. Uh, so all of us were ra- mostly raised in Western New York. And then we've all literally scattered. My brother Jason lives 30, mi- 30 minutes from me, so that he's born in Tennessee. Uh, my brother Chris is down in Florida, uh, West Palm Beach, and my sister April's in Greenville, North Carolina. <laughs> so we're, we're scattered about. That also is part of the reason why we don't get together and talk much, because yeah. we're just scattered in different parts of the country. So how things work out for your parents? Uh, well, I mean, they're still kicking, but like I said, they, they're living in a crappy little rental on Social Security. Mm-hmm. So uh, my my mom, she was raised Catholic. Uh, and she spent a big period of time just completely ignoring any religious upbringing she had. She's kind of come back to that, but she's still, she kind of is in self-denial, I guess, of the past, but she's trying to go forward and move forward. My dad, he's, uh, he, he was an alcoholic. I don't know if he still is. I know that the doctors basically told him, if you don't quit drinking, you're done. Mm -hmm. And he kind of just said, I don't really care. Um, I know that he's kind of been getting a little bit better, but uh, they're they're living together in North Carolina near my sister because my mom wanted to be near the grandbabies because uh, my sister's the only one that has kids that are 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 younger mm-hmm. and uh, she wanted to be with them for a while, so that's why they're they're uh, living out that way. But uh, <clears throat> it's kind of a uh, their life pattern led them to where they're at now and that's part of the reason why when I saw the pattern they were headed for I didn't want to be the same as, as they were mm-hmm. so and I mean would... they're they're hanging in there I just it kind of it's kind of sad I know for a lot of people say well you know isn't it sad what your where your parents are at it's like it, it is but it's kind of the life they chose so there's nothing i can do about it mm-hmm. and it was your mom's dad that kind of um, through talking with you when you were just a, a kid it sounds like um kind of helped you to just to understand that life didn't have to have to be this way yeah yeah, yeah. definitely well you know, I, I guess i could I took it from influence of you know friends, neighbors, mm-hmm. other people who didn't live like we did, and said, "This is a possibility." Yeah. Um. So yeah, that can be powerful. Just seeing for kids, just seeing an alternative way to live. <laughs> yeah. Um. 
So you mentioned the Bible. So in seeking religion and God and so forth, it sounds like it's, you know, Christianity is the direction you're going in. Like what version of it? Catholicism or Protestant or um, non-denominational or or do you even uh, meet with the church? No, we uh, we attend the Church of Christ okay. locally. Okay. And personally, for me, it may sound odd because I'm I still struggle with the, I guess the 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 final path, the final decision. I don't know if we all do or, uh, but out of all the doctrines that I've seen and all the people that I've talked to in different versions, it seems to me anyway that Church of Christ is the most true as far okay. as we believe in what the Bible says, and that's that. Okay. Not we believe in this part of the Bible or we believe in that part of the Bible. It's we believe in the whole Bible. I mean, that's the impression that I get from the people that we we go to church with and the and from what the the preacher teaches so that that to me seems like the most honest version uh too many people say well i believe in this part but not that part and to okay. me that doesn't fly you either believe all the way or not at all let's pick one well like give me an example because i think everybody I, well people tend to think of themselves as bible-based it's just that they have disagreements I mean, um, there might be, yeah, I'm sure there are groups who um, understand, well, the Bible does say this, but that was for them. It's not for us. So they're going to discard that. But um, for the most part, I think, or my experience has been people like to think of themselves as, you know, this is the way it should be according to the Bible, and but they can be different than another group who thinks the same thing about, you know, following the Bible. Is there any particular example that you can think of? I'm not fami familiar with the Church of Christ very much, um, but any particular example you can think of that um, where they uh, seem to be more uh, Bible-based than a another group? Um, I think, because their main tenant, obviously, it's in the title, uh, mm -hmm. and they obviously, they believe that the, you know, the Bible says that Christ is the savior. And if you don't believe in that, that's not mm -hmm. the right path. And they basically, their emphasis for that is to say, the Bible says that this is the path. Thus you should believe it because the Bible says it. Mm -hmm. And the Bible says you should have this relationship with God. So I'm telling you, that's the relationship you should have. Uh, mm -hmm. the Bible says that if you're going to be baptized, you need to be baptized in water and not mm -hmm. just some sprinkle on the forehead as they like to, some people like to jokingly call it, but mm -hmm. you no, know, that's the teaching that they emphasize over and over again. Why do we say this? Because it's written here and here's the verse and here's the chapter. Mm -hmm. Out of all the people that I've talked to, that seems to be the most direct, I guess you could say, the most direct path is, is the one that they're teaching. Um, okay. That's not to say that I don't struggle with stuff that's in the Bible, but to me, listening to them talk, it is the most direct path. They say the Bible says this, I can read it, 
yep, that's what it says. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, because it says that, that's what you should do. Out of, mm -hmm. out of all the ones that okay. I've been to, that's, that's, that seems to be the most direct path as, as what they're teaching in their church. Mm -hmm. So something common in Christianity, I think, is just the central aspect of Jesus and his suffering on the cross and the resurrection. That seems to be like the central defining tenet. I think like even if you walk into a Catholic church, that's what you see right in front of you, you know, a cross with Jesus on it. So um, is that meaningful to you or like, what do you make of it? Um, of Jesus and just his uh, suffering and death and then, you know, God raising him up. Like, is that um, seem powerful to you spiritually or, um, or how do you, th what are your thoughts about it? Uh, yes, absolutely. I think that is the, um, like I said, I struggle with the miracles part of it, but the mm -hmm. message to me and the path I think is, is absolutely the correct message to fit with, with our human path on this planet. And that is that, and, that, and the concept to me, whether it's literal or allegorical, metaphorical, the the concept is is absolutely the concept that we should all embrace. And that is that we were early on in Old Testament taught you sacrifice, and the sacrifice, the point of the sacrifice was not uh, how do you cut up a bull and and put it on the fire. The sacrifice was for you to feel some type of loss to atone for your sins, for your wrongs. Mm -hmm. And in the context of Jesus, that's the ultimate sacrifice. You get no higher sacrifice. You can sacrifice a valuable animal, but that is no higher a price than sacrificing a human mm -hmm. for all your wrongs. And that is basically the symbol, the, the core tenet of Jesus being sacrificed on the cross is that this is the ultimate price. This is the highest sacrifice the Old Testament could have ever asked for. Heed its warning. Heed its message. Because I'm telling you that this message is something that everybody is supposed to understand, and this is the biggest loss that you could possibly suffer. So if you ignore it, you ignore it at your own peril. Mm -hmm. Well, um... I guess... I uh, that kind of does that answer what you're getting yeah. at, or yeah, yeah, it does. Um, so what, um, you know, what are would you say is your uh strong point, um, when it comes to just the way God created you? Like, is there anything particularly a, a strong point, or is there anything? a weakness that's a challenge for you or, you know, I was going to ask, you know, both ways, but oh. anything that you're particularly well, good, yeah, I mean, good at that you're thankful for? There's, uh, there's both. Um, yeah. I look back, the more I learned to look, I look back and I realized that in some ways I was saved from the beginning. I just didn't know it because mm -hmm. I was given the forethought, 
the ability, the intelligence to realize that the way my parents raised us was, was wrong and that there mm-hmm. was a better way forward. And, that, and out of all the situations, because as I look at other families, other people who have children, all, the, all our kids are different. You know, I, in my own two kids, you could kind of call it a hit and miss. I have a son who's really good, and I have a daughter who's basically uh, left uh, to live with a boyfriend and doesn't talk to us. Hmm. Uh, we had four kids in our family, and out of that, my brother Jason took the longest to come around and and be a productive member of, of society. Not that he ever did anything like go to jail, but just to be a steady worker and a provider. Mm-hmm. Even though we were all raised in the same house, he was the only one that lagged behind. So in every family, I see a pattern like this. So I realized that I was given some gift from the beginning to realize a better path forward, mm-hmm. regardless of what I was, the circumstance in which I was brought up. And, um, you know, I, mean, I have some other natural skills, like that's why I'm an engineer, because I've always been a tinker, or I've always been uh, very logically minded, mechanically inclined, you know, so those skills have provided a, a life set for me because I, I have the ability to fix things. Uh, it makes it easier for me to maintain, uh, I guess you could say a frugal lifestyle because I, I can fix my car, I can fix my house. Mm-hmm. Um, I know how to design things. That, that skill has gotten me, it keeps me fed. Yeah. So that's a, a skill that I, I give back. But I still struggle with um, bucking against my personality when, when the when the Bible says, you know, uh, forgive your enemy, love your enemy. Um, there there are times when you're insulted, but you should just turn the other cheek. Basically, you know, the, if they slap you on one cheek, provide the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand that those are for insults and minor offenses, not, not if somebody physically assaults you, but I still struggle with that sometimes as to just turn the other cheek. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm, I'm not necessarily a mean person, mm-hmm. but especially as I've gotten older, I've gotten grumpier. I've gotten less tolerant of all the stupidity out there. Mm-hmm. And it's easier for me to look at what somebody says something stupid and just want to smack him upside the head. Mm-hmm for lack of better terminology. I mean, that's, and I struggle with that. So that's, uh, uh, struggling with that and struggling with, uh, my, my hyperlogical mindset mm-hmm. and moving more into a spiritual understanding. Cause when you have faith, it's not something you can prove. It's not a logical conclusion. It's something beyond what you can uncomprehend. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's a struggle to let that in completely mm-hmm. and let go of the former. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of equate faith with trust. Um, not necessarily, like a lot of people I think equate it with believing something without um, proof or something like that. So I guess there's that element of it too. Um, but it's like in any kind of relationship, there's going to be an element of faith because based on the other person, their character or what you can get through the relationship, like a marriage, you know, there, you would, there would be faith because that's what's required for a good, um, relationship, you know? And so it's, um, 
that's kind of how I see it a lot of time. And then, you know, when it comes to God, it is a relational type of thing. Um, he, what he's like is laid out, you know, in the pages of scripture and it's like, are we going to trust, you know, him? I think that's a good, actually, it's kind of a good word to put into that. Cause I think that is one, a uh, kind of a core thing that I struggle with is trust. Uh, and not like I'm not untrusting of people, but trusting that because the message is no matter what's happening to you, if you stay the path, you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And trusting that message is something I struggle with because I look around us and I go, you know, sometimes I literally look at the sky and go, God, really? Mm-hmm. Could we get a judgment call on this? Because, <laughs> uh, it sure doesn't look like uh, like this is, this should be going the way it is. And trusting that there may be, and it's kind of ironic because I was having a discussion with my son, saying that it's kind of like the to me it's it's a parent child relationship, and only on a bigger level that God's our parent and we're the children. But when you're raising children, sometimes you tell them to do something because you see the whole picture and they don't. Mm-hmm trusting that our creator knows the whole picture, but we don't. And he's telling us to do something, but we don't have all the context. It's hard to swallow sometimes. Yeah. So, um, you know, what happened to you with like, you were born in a certain world, so to speak. And then someone helped you to see that there's a better way. Um, that's kind of how I think of um, like the alternative lifestyle of uh, like living off of welfare and things like that, or, um, or living in a family situation where the idea of um, a mom and a dad, you know, living together, married um, and raising up kids like the traditional family. It's, it's so unknown in some areas Um and it it almost seems like the best thing that could um, help could be like somehow seeing that there's a different way, like experiencing it somehow. Um, so I don't know how that would come. It's almost like breaking out of a generational type of thing, it seems to me. But So I don't have answers, but um, that seems to be what it takes because if you're just raised in a certain thing and that's what you see in your own family and your aunts and uncles neighborhood it's this particular lifestyle of um and it's it's not a lifestyle of responsibility and uh, intact homes and stuff like that then it's almost like well, you need someone to show you this ain't normal. <laughs> you know, there's a different world. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it's great that that, you know, in your particular lifestyle, that that was kind of pointed out to you. And um, hopefully that can happen, you know, a lot more with people um, who are growing up in something that's far from what it could be and should be, you know. Yeah, and it's 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 kind of a it's one of those things that's uh it's one of the reasons why I 
I grew up loving this country mm-hmm. because I realized that in our circumstance, we didn't have to live the way we were raised. And it saddens me that culturally speaking, they're tearing that down because I think that's the best example for those people who don't, who can't look at a grandfather, aunt, uncle, whoever, is to look, be able to look out in society and see that you don't have to live this way. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, culturally speaking, we're not teaching those people who are living the wrong path that all you have to do is look to all these other people in culture and see that you don't have to live that way. We're not teaching them that. We're keeping them isolated. We're saying, oh, you're a victim. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing you can do about your circumstance. And then they look around and say, you're right, there isn't. Mm-hmm. And that saddens me. It saddens me deeply because we have so many examples just look outside your neighborhood and you can see that you don't have to be the way you are. Mm-hmm. But instead we say, no, no, just take the check, mm-hmm. uh, stay in your little, your little hole and, and don't worry about it because you're the victim. You, there's, there's, it's not your fault. There's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. And it just, it kills me that that's the message that we're sending. Mm-hmm. And we've been sending it for decades and now it's really just the fruits of that labor are coming to bear in, in mm-hmm. obvious ways that, that we've been teaching it for so long to instead of look out and outside to where you're at to see what you could be mm-hmm. just wallow in your in your victimhood and stay there and that that kills me that we're headed that direction that's part of the reason why I'm, I'm turning into a grumpy old man because it wasn't like that as much mm-hmm. it wasn't like that so much when I was younger and now it is and that it saddens me that we're going that way because it's so much harder to come out of that hole when people are yanking the good examples away from you. Mm-hmm. So are there any routines that are meaningful to you? Like, um, I don't know, reading, f- walking, fitness, just anything that you do that, um, you know, has, is really helpful to you in your life. Just some kind of routine. Uh, I don't know if I'd say routine, but I guess, things that I do often enough and that is uh, one of them is uh, I don't like reading so much mm-hmm. but my wife does and will often um, she'll read books to me hmm. you know as, as when we're together or when we travel mm-hmm. uh, we'll read and discuss books and and there's lots of different uh, books and different subjects that have also helped shape me uh, shape my mindset uh, my wife and I are are well, that's why we've been married for 29 years. We're on the same page, so that mm-hmm. that all works out well. But uh, of course, we listen to a lot of podcasts now. Uh, I've never been a fan of the news, mm-hmm. so I don't watch the news. I haven't watched the news in probably 30 years. Uh, I get enough of the news garbage just by tuning into the podcasts and the radio shows and stuff that I do listen to because you can't avoid it. They you know, the, they break in with the news or they tell you about the, the latest, no matter who you're listening to, you got to hear about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, between books and, and listening to other people's stories and podcasts and stuff like that, it's, it's really, I guess, a, it's a good education. Yeah. Um, then I have my, I guess you could say my zone time, my, uh, as caveman say, staring at the fire time. And that's a lot of uh, part of my hobby when I go out and, uh, mow the yard or uh, mow some dirt or trim some trees, that type of stuff. That's kind of my uh, 
staring at the fire time out in the property and mm-hmm. just enjoying the outside and nature and stuff like that. So are there any particular, and I guess, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, and I guess for my work is kind of fading, but then I'm also nearing retirement age. So it's not like it's, uh, I may be, I may go off and do something else when I do hit retirement age. Mm-hmm. Um, so partly my work was somewhat satisfying because I, I get to design stuff. I manage a project. I see stuff get built. Then it comes in and it runs and it makes parts. And, uh, we, you know, providing that value is something that's, uh, providing value to other people is something that's, uh, that's always been, uh, good to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and occasionally I take side jobs where I help people out. Um, example, all right now I'm, I'm fixing the neighbors. She's a single mom next door neighbor and her mower quit running. So I'm fixing the engine for her. You know, I do stuff like that or I'll find a car for somebody or, you know, fix something for them, that type of stuff. Yeah. Is there any particular books that come to mind when you, you know, you think of something that's really made a profound impact on your life? I got several of them. Hmm. Um, uh, the gift of fear. Hmm. And, uh, uh, have you ever, I don't know if you've read that one. I haven't. But it's, uh, a lot of these, of course, were are from the 90s. Okay. So they're not recent titles, but you can still find them. Uh, the Gift of Fear was a good one from the point of view of, it's not really political, but it is a book that really, it's from a guy who does security. Mm-hmm. And it really emphasizes the fact that we were born with an instinct and that subconscious level that teaches us uh, the right thing to do and when to do it. And he's looking at it more from a personal security point of view, as in, you know, you feel scared because of a situation and you know that you have to fight or fly. And he was kind of pointing out examples of how that instinct works. But I think on a deeper meaning level, it's something that we've also been taught to ignore and we've lost sight of is that we have that conscience. It kind of gets back to the religious faith also is that we were born with this nature and we're born with a conscience and we're born with a guide. That guide was given to us for a reason and we ignore that at our own peril. So that's kind of the message that you, the deeper message that you can get out of that book is understand we were given this gift. Okay. Don't forget about it. Uh, you know, that's, that's one well, I like before. Um, are you still there? Dave? Kind of, uh, more on a, on a, on a geek way. Do I have you again? You're back. There we okay. go. <laughs> yes, you're back. Uh, so, uh, 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 kind of a geek spectrum. Mm-hmm. I liked the book Freakonomics. Okay. Um, and the reason I really liked that book was it's not his conclusions, but it's the fact that basically it's kind of looking at things from a point of view of what we've forgotten. You know, they say the science, but we've forgotten what science means. And if you read through Freakonomics, he's really emphasizing what science should be. And that is you have things that are 
coincident and you have things that are causal. But you have to understand there's a difference between the two. Just because the two happened at the same time doesn't mean one caused the other because we've kind of lost that. Hmm. You know, we say believe the science, but they don't do real science anymore. They just say, well, these two things happened at the same time, so one caused the other, and it's not the case. And <laughs> if you read through Freakonomics, to me, the deeper message in that is understand what you're looking at and understand whether or not it's just a coincidence that these two things happen together mm-hmm. or one caused the other. And that's kind of the underscore throughout that entire book is that it may not be what you think mm-hmm. it is because you didn't really understand all of the data. And that's, that, that book was very interesting to me from that point of view. Yeah. Um, I guess one we read a long time ago too was, uh, I think it's, uh, uh, Help me out. The women can't read. Oh, women can't fold maps. Why men don't listen and women can't fold maps. <laughs> that was my wife. Uh, so why men don't listen and women can't fold maps. Okay. <laughs> and it's a relationship. Okay. It's a relationship book. Yeah. And it's a really good book that deep down on a basic level explains the differences between men and women mm-hmm. and how you treat those differences inside a relationship. Okay. Um, so that, that one was very, very interesting because it's, it's not just relationship stuff. It's like there's some actual information in there about physiological differences between men and women, mental differences between men and women. So that's a really, it's kind of a, it's a really good book for people starting out in relationships to read or even before you're in a relationship to read, to understand that there are different aspects between men and women, Mm -hmm. men and women are looking for different things, but they can come together Mm -hmm. and they're supposed to fit together like two pieces, right? Two puzzle pieces. It's not that they're the same. They're not supposed to be the same. They're supposed to complement each other. And that's a, that was a good book for, for that point of view. Um, Yeah. I guess one that, one that helped me shape some of my political views was John Stossel's Give Me a Break. Hmm. And part of the reason why that helped shape, it helped shape my understanding that part of the reason why I don't watch the news. When I was a kid, it was, we would watch that stuff. We'd watch 2020 and 60 Minutes and all those news programs. That's what my parents watched. That's what I watched. And I didn't realize until I read that book, I was starting to learn, but I didn't realize how full of crap they all were. Uh, that's a lot of the stories that they tell you in those news. Some of them are just bad stories because they didn't do follow-up. They just gave you the headline. They threw it out there. They didn't do any background, but it made a good headline for you to uh, watch and for them to get ratings but they never followed up on it to tell you the backstory or what happened yeah. later. And in some cases they just made stuff up. Uh, they couldn't get the story they wanted. So they tweaked the facts until they got the story they wanted. And then they presented it that way. And because John Stossel was a guy who was doing those stories, he then, when he realized that no one was doing follow up and that some of the stuff they were telling the public was not all true that's why he wrote that book, Give Me a Break in the First Place, was to say, hey, 
you need to understand that you're not getting the whole story. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of an eye-opener to say, uh, hey, here's the rest of the story. You should probably know that there's a rest of the story. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think that kind of helped shape a direction that we went. Um, I think another big one that it's not so much reading the book, but also listening to his radio show and following his uh, uh, philosophy is Dave Ramsey's The uh, Total Money Makeover. Yeah. Um, That was something that I was kind of, when I was younger, uh, uh, again, being ignorant, I thought, well, it was cool to get credit because my parents didn't have credit. We were, we were poor, so we didn't have credit. We didn't have credit cards. And I thought, well, that's what everybody does is get credit. So I thought that was kind of cool, but I was always hesitant. My wife wasn't so hesitant. Um, but shortly into our marriage, we kind of got on the same page there. And, and part of it was listening to Dave yeah. tell his story about what debt did for him. And... Uh, Going through that book, going through the process, was when we decided to uh, to get out of debt and never go back. And uh, we started that process back in the mid '90s. Okay. Uh, by the late '90s, we were debt free except for the house. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, by the time we were in the 2000s, we had a paid for house. Uh, we sold that house, moved into the one we're in now. We we had taken out a short term mortgage just to cover the gap while I sold the other house. And then once we sold the other house and paid this one off, so you know we've been living debt free for probably going on thirty years now, almost thirty years. Wow, that's great. So it, that you know that was a big fl- influence on us. And uh, once you live in a paid for house, it's it's a it's a different feeling. Yeah, it's a. It's part of the reason why I'm not too worried about where my job is going. And how soon I retire? Because worst case, you know, if if my plant were to close tomorrow, it's like, well, that would really suck, and I'd be sad because I've been there for thirty mm-hmm. years. But uh, I could go work at Lowe's and keep the lights yeah. on because I don't have any bills. So uh, it's a it's a sense of a personal level of peace that you you can't replace with anything right. else. And I think. I sought that out because I was so unstable as a kid yeah. that uh, I'm, a, I'm a little bit hypersensitive to the uh, safety zone. So it has its goods and bads. I mean, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to invest too much. Like I see a lot of my friends invest and, and go pretty high risk. I mean, they're, they're doing okay and they're, and they're making it work, but uh, I'm kind of risk adverse, I guess, because of my past. Mm-hmm. But uh, it also is a it's a peaceful place to be where I don't have to worry about whether or not I got a house. So yeah. that was a that was a big influence. Um, then we've had some more more recent ones. Uh, one of them, uh, uh, and it's it's more of a kind of a political, but also just to understand this is not one world. Was a book called uh, Nothing to Envy. And that book was written by a doctor who was born and raised in North Korea and escaped. Wow. And to listen to her story about what it's like in North Korea, um, 
it's just stunning. It's absolutely stunning to understand that that uh, you know a lot of people like to complain about the world they live in here. It's like you have no clue mm-hmm. when you say that you want a, a socialist country and a socialist government. It's like you have no clue what that means. Yeah. Listen to some of these people who came from a complete, utter dictatorship, mm-hmm. and you tell me how you could think that that's a better way because uh, the whole point of nothing to envy. Mm-hmm was the the they were always told she told in her story that they weren't told anything about the outside world but they had nothing to envy because they had everything they needed in mm-hmm. in North Korea yeah. and she realized that that entire uh brainwashing mentality was a lie her entire life was a lie when she escaped to China mm-hmm. And she saw a bowl of rice on the ground in somebody's backyard. And then she realized that that rice was for the dog. Hmm. And she said, my God, everything they told me is a lie. China treats their dogs better than North Korea treats their doctors. Wow. Yeah. And it's like, you know, let that sink in for a moment. Yeah. <laughs> That's just a, a stunning you know, so that that was another a book, I guess you could say, that really had a had an impact. Yeah. Um, when we when we just read most recently is uh, and it's more of a um, because of my personal health. Uh, is a book called The Big Fat Lie. Um, and oh no, sorry, The Big Fat Surprise. It's called The Big Fat Surprise. And uh, we got onto that because as I've gotten older, my cholesterol goes up, has gone up, and my doctor was uh, starting to get worried, and we started doing some research. And through our research, we came up, came to this book, and after reading this book, it was, it was pretty interesting because uh, she did 10 years of research to put that book together, and it was, again, it was more of a, a revelation that uh, through the context of her research and interviews that she did with doctors and scientists, she found out that all of this diet hypothesis that they've been giving us throughout the hmm. decades uh, is all is wrong. Yeah. That uh, you know the that there have been blaming saturated fat for for heart disease when in reality it's it's uh, diabetes more than than uh, anything so you know when they say you need to go low fat everything low fat this but carbs are okay it's the exact opposite of what they should be teaching mm-hmm. you and that a lot of the research that was contrary to the to the to the narrative was buried literally buried as in they did a scientific study they didn't get the result they liked so they didn't publish it and it got filed in a box and stuffed in the basement for 16 years yeah and she asked some of the people who did those studies, why didn't you publish? And he goes like, well, it wasn't the result that we wanted. Hmm. And it wasn't the result that they paid for in the grant. So we didn't publish it. I mean, just stunning stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, eye-opening stuff like that. Um, I think... I guess I kind of I enjoy those enlightening stories. Yeah. Well, thanks for all the book info. It sounds like there's some interesting um, books you've read, and I appreciate that. 
Um, I guess just kind of um, start to wrap up um, here. I've been asking you all these questions about yourself just kind of briefly before we go. Is there anything in particular that you'd like to ask me? Uh, yeah, I was, I was kind of curious because um, looking at your place, it looked like you were also doing a, some sort of eBay business or something okay, out of it. Yeah. I, uh, I was just kind of curious what, what you did because obviously you, uh, it looks like your schedule is not like a normal nine to five right. and you're doing other stuff on the side. I don't know if you have like a nine to five job or right. uh, you're just a small business person, how you wound up with two houses, that type yeah. of thing. Well, I'm your age and um, I spent mo- most of my life um, working as a photographer and um, are a wedding photographer mainly. And we raised uh, eight kids in that house <laughs> where you guys stayed. Um, and it was a real good job for being able to be home. At, at that time, it was a, a good paying job too. But um, And we paid off our house and were able to put some money aside. Um, and then, but in recent years, that industry has gone um, down, just like a lot of industries, you know, has changed because of um, technology, like the print industry and the music industry and, you know, a lot of other things. Well, so has the photography industry. So um, I kind of uh, dropped that. And, um, I had some, well, it just kind of fizzled away. I had some friends who were buying things, uh, random things and selling them on eBay. And there's a podcast that I listened to called scavenger life. And it was this couple and they were doing the same thing Mm -hmm. and, um, and they were making a living at it. So I, I started doing that and then it, it, um, it was kind of time consuming because you were working with a variety of different things all the time. So everything had to be researched and packaged in a particular way and so forth. And I thought uh, shoes are something that could be a high dollar um, item and they're small. They're easy to package. You only have to have one size box for them. They're not breakable or temperature sensitive. So I started specializing in shoes and um, I would buy shoes and, um, uh, looking for nicer brands that were just um, lightly used. I'd be looking through thrift stores. And that was a source of income for two, three, four years. I haven't been doing that um, now. I still got a large inventory. Some of them are over at the, the house, like you, you saw. Um, so when something sells, I ship it out. But I'm not out looking for shoes at this point. I work as an office manager for my sons. They have a lawn business. And it's basically, I'm kind of on call. I just carry the phone for them. And then I do a little bit of office work, scheduling and invoicing and um, their accounting type of stuff. And then Airbnb and, um, and it's, our income is not large, but like you, we don't have debt and we live a pretty frugal lifestyle and it works out. It's a comfortable life and very flexible. So, um, looks like you're offline again. <laughs> okay. And you're so back. I don't know where I got cut off. Yes. I just yapping away, but, um, uh, you were, you were saying that, uh, you were, you were at the, uh, uh, point where you said that you, 
uh, are supplementing now with the Airbnb. Yeah. Um, right. So, um, our, and I, I work as an office manager for my sons. Uh, they have a long business. So anyway, um, it's, um, it's not a high paying, there's not a lot of cash coming in right now, but like you, um, we're debt free and, um, it's a comfortable life. It's flexible. It works out for us. And, um, seems like I'm busy all the time, but, um, just with miscellaneous things more than like, um, a nine to five type of thing. But anyway, well, that's cool. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's one thing I've kind of, um, I know who I am at this stage yeah. in my life, but I kind of envy those people who can do that thing. That's kind of uh, like what you're doing more of a, at a state where you can do some random stuff. Cause I know when I'm on vacation, that's what I do. Yeah. And the more I take vacation, the more I realize, you know, when I hit retirement age, I can do this full time. Yeah. <laughs> I can find something to do and I'll be all, all right. right with that. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks Dave. It's been a good conversation and uh, interesting too, just your yeah. background and all. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed listening to it and finding out about you. So thanks a lot. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yep. No problem. Thank you.